Day. This is Tabitha. Welcome to White Wellness Radio. Today, January 31st, 2024, broadcasting out of New York for White Wellness White Radio. Well, it's been quite some time since I've done a live show. I think it's been almost about four months. Uh, greetings to everyone who's listening in the live chat. Greetings to everyone who's listening in the archive. 
And today is actually the six month anniversary of Light Wellness Radio. It was six years ago, back in 2018, when I did my first show called Perversions of Yoga. So a little bit of an anniversary celebration. Uh, my first live show in four months, my second show of this month slash year. And that song, of course, was Maniac by Michael Sambello way back in 1983. An appropriate song considering the topic we're going to be discussing today on the broadcast. And the title of the broadcast is The Ancestral Con Part 2, Copper Mania. So many of you probably remember the first Ancestral Con, a show that I did quite some time ago, very popular show where I exposed uh, vitamin A and how that can affect people. And of course, vitamin A would affect people way more now in this modern world than it would have probably in the past. And the same thing is true of copper. And this is really going to be a very um, thought-provoking and interesting broadcast. And it kind of brings a lot of things together that have been discussed on prior broadcasts. But first, the word of the show. I can't even call it the word of the week anymore, but the word for the show. I have four of these cards left in this Forgotten English deck. So let's pick one of these cards, and this is the word. All right. And that word is love days, L-O-V-E-D-A-Y-S. Term for dates established in Chaucer's time for reconciling disputes by arbitration in which day meant, quote, to appoint a time for a decision. During the 15th to 17th centuries, Daymint was a type of mediation performed by a daysman. By the 16th century, the name Love Day had been misinterpreted as a meaning of lovemaking or peaceful day. So the original word, of course, means to appoint a time for decision, which is very different than lovemaking or a peaceful day. But nevertheless, the word is Love Days. And we got some people in the chat. We've got... Um, Someone saying it's their first time here, George Johnson. We've got Epiphany, we've got Josh. And um, who else is here? I think that's someone else. Uh, Short Pants Robert, Man of the West. Yeah, and Epiphany sent a uh, gift. Thank you very much. So that is our word for the week, the month, whatever you wanna call it, love days. So let's get right into this topic of copper. And copper is kind of much like vitamin A, where if we kind of take a panoramic view, it's actually bigger than vitamin A. I think this is actually more of the issue. And many of you know from the Ancestral Con show that I did and from another show that I did when I talked about doing the clearly liver detox, I talked about vitamin A. I talked about copper in both those shows too. And many people who are familiar with this uh, milieu know that Dr. Garrett Smith is one of the main people who's talking about vitamin A, and he talks about copper too. But I actually think from what I've researched and kind of my own intuitive feelings on this and being someone who's been in this nutrition milieu for, gosh, over two decades, I think the copper is a bigger issue than the vitamin A. And of course, his, his focus is on the vitamin A, and that can be a problem, absolutely. But I think that the copper is more problematic. And then we kind of think more from the perception or perspective of heavy metals and mineral balance as opposed to 
um, things like a fat soluble vitamin. So there's different categories, of course, but nevertheless, there's a lot of pertinent information coming out now about this. And of course, many people, they haven't heard of it. Of course, Dr. Zog hasn't heard of it. Dr. Zog Light hasn't heard of it. Even Dr. Radical Zog hasn't heard of it, you know, or Alt Zog, because it's one of those things that's very hidden and it could also mimic as a lot of other things or symptoms and people, you know, doctors or whomever you're seeing, a wellness practitioner, et cetera, might understand that you're going through something, but might not know exactly that this is what it is. So a very, very important topic. And it's even more important, I was just saying before, is that just like with the vitamin A, what do all of these, quote, ancestral diets have in common? And I'll also add veganism to this too, which I also talked about in the context of vitamin A. If you go through many of these diets, let's just list them veganism, and there's many types, but when you're eating that much of an abundance of certain foods without the balance of others, of course, there happens to be things that happen that make homeostasis hard to achieve or hard to keep, right? Then we have all of these ancestral diets, like let's say um, nose to tail carnivore. That's a good That's a good one right there to think about. We have the Weston A. Price, um, what else? Uh, the keto diet. I mean, none of these are really, none of these diets are really truly ancestral. I, I think those of us listening know that what's really ancestral is what was eaten back then. And a lot of those foods cannot be produced anymore because we don't have the environment for that, nor are we people who are uh, alive in that time. So we need very different nutrition. Does that mean that the processed zog, slop, goy slop stuff that many of us grew up on or still eat is what we should be eating? Of course not. So let's see, we've got keto, we've got various iterations of veganism, nose to tail carnivore, the Weston A. Price diet, the pro-metabolic diet, all of these diets are high in vitamin A, whether it's from carotenoids, beta carotene from plants, whether it's from retinol, and they're also very high in copper. Makes sense that Zob would be promoting all of these diets, right? So let's talk about copper and let's talk about how copper toxicity can show up and then how can we treat it? How can we get a hand? So it's a bit of a whirlwind amount of information. And I'm actually put some notes together this morning because I've mentioned this on the broadcast before. I do this little thing where I have this, uh, this cooking club where I meet up with other humans, mostly women, and we make potluck food. And every time we meet up, we do a discussion on some really groovy topic. And we're meeting up this weekend and we're doing a uh, lecture on copper imbalance and toxicity, the hidden illness. So I have some notes I got put together for that. I can talk about it here. I can familiarize myself even more with it, familiarize you with it. And if it's something that you think may be uh, affecting you, and keep in mind that us women are going to be more susceptible to copper toxicity and imbalance than men are just because we have smaller organs, smaller livers, smaller adrenals. We produce more estrogen. We have more body fat. Can this affect men? Of course, especially now in a world where so many men have excess estrogen. They have obesity. They have gynecomastia. They have tremendous bellies. So like there's a lot of uh, ways this can affect men, but it's definitely more of a woman's issue, but it's an important lesson for everybody. So what is copper? Copper is a mineral. 
It's essential for good health and is required for several physiological functions, such as the production of neurotransmitters, dopamine and noradrenaline, the uh, enzyme cytochrome C oxidase, which breaks down vitamin C, and for lactase activity, which is the digestion of lactose, and for the elastin and collagen production, to name a few. So yes, we do need sufficient amount, just like everything, it's always in context. Yes, we do need sufficient amounts for good health. However, problems exist and occur when levels become excessive. And now we live in this world where of course, like I was just saying, we're not our ancestors. We don't live in those times. We don't really have the same foods being produced the same way. Most of us grew up in a way that we were zogged in one way, whether it was being born in the Zogspital, getting vaccinations, growing up on food that had heavy metals, going through the traumas with our parents and families, uh, growing up with some restrictive type of diet, whether it was imposed by ourselves because of our way of controlling our situation or our parents imposed it on us. So we are not dealing with the same factors that people in our past have. And when we already have kind of all those holes on our health resume, if you will, there is such a thing as overnutrition. Oftentimes we're told that the majority of people are overfed and undernourished. Oftentimes you'll see a photo of someone who's very large, you know, dealing with obesity and they'll say, oh, that person's overfed and undernourished. Yes, that person is overfed, but does that mean that every time someone uh, overeats, they're going to be obese? Well, no, because plenty of people overeat and they don't get obese. But it's also a problem of overnutrition and toxicity, especially now when we have all these fortified foods on the market. And as we're going to learn, there are so many ways we can get copper into our systems. Now, the diets is just one way, and it's an easy way for us to get into our systems thinking we're doing something healthy. And also it's a way for people who have already become like really aware of a lot of the snares out there. They end up falling for these dietary snares. Remember there's a snare for everybody. So copper toxicity appears to be far more common than copper deficiencies and can be just as devastating to one's health as dealing with the heavy metal effects of mercury and lead. Now we're always told those are really bad, right? Most of us know like kind of, that's like health 101, like those are bad, fluoride's bad, et cetera. But with copper, it's a bit more nuanced. And now we have a lot of people in these milieus, in some of the nose to tail carnivory, uh, somewhat in veganism, definitely in the pro-metabolic uh, milieu, definitely in the Weston A. Price milieu, definitely with people who are into something called the root cause protocol, where they believe that people are all copper deficient and that we have this unbound copper in the body and we need to move it somewhere else. But every person is going to be different and that may not be true for every person. Now there are certain practitioners who will say you can actually be deficient in copper and excessive in copper as well because in the wrong place. It's almost like how in TCM a practitioner will say you can be yin deficient but also have yin and be like adrenally fatigued and adrenal fatigue works into this whole thing with copper toxicity too and you can also be yin excess and be damp right so sometimes it's i know it's hard to wrap the mind around of being two things at once but those regimes may understand the nuances of this but i think their methodologies for going about treatment are um 
not so great and they're also very wide stream. So if anyone's dealing with this, this is something that you'd really want to see uh, a practitioner who is highly skilled in this milieu. And that is not me. I am not highly skilled in the realm of copper toxicity. I'm skilled in many other things, but this is something that if you're dealing with it, you wouldn't just wanna be shooting in the dark with um, supplements. Now, if you knew off the bat, you thought it was a problem for yourself intuitively, you could just scale back on some of these high copper foods and uh, things that you know we do in our life or things we've been exposed to. So copper toxicity is largely being ignored by mainstream medical professionals, also by alt professionals, I would say too. And sometimes there are people out there in the health milieu who will actually uh, say that people who are talking about this are, um, it's not this, it couldn't be this. So there's a lot of gaslighting as well. So let's go through some problems right now that could be related to to copper toxicity. We'll talk about more, more in depth as we go through it. But off the bat, just to whet everyone's appetite, here are some issues. Hormone imbalances. The blockage of T4, which is the thyroid hormone production, and the conversion into T3, which happens in the liver, by blocking iron also inhibits steroid hormone pathways resulting in hormone problems. The buildup of copper interferes with the function of hormones like thyroid and adrenals, which of course run together. The thyroid gland is susceptible to copper, so hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's disease may exist as well. So how many women do you think are possibly dealing with hypothyroidism because of copper toxicity? And taking the medication is not going to get to the root of it. And for some people, taking the medicine can actually mess with the adrenals and stimulate, overstimulate their adrenals while shutting down their thyroid, which will actually over time make things worse because people who already have copper toxicity have very um, weak adrenals. Number two, fatigue. So what happens is that it can block magnesium and disrupt hormone production um, and causing fatigue. Uh, anxiety, because copper can increase adrenaline or noradrenaline. How many people are dealing with anxiety? seems to be like a big, big thing. Remember that anxiety and depression are mental illnesses. They're usually not thought of that way. And there is still a stigma around mental illness, around drug addiction, more so than there is for physical illness. But depending on how you manifest something, you may manifest it physically. It may come out um, from, you know, more of a mental way. Number four would be joint pain. People think they're, quote, getting older maybe their buildup of heavy metals is just getting more profuse as time goes on. Number five, poor immunity. Uh, Things like viral, fungal, and yeast infections. Could it be that maybe they're putting copper in the vaccinations? Maybe, you know, mercury, iron, um, peanut oil. I mean, it's it's a real zog soup. Number six, poor sleep because it blocks melatonin production. So things like insomnia, how many people are struggling with sleep? Oh, and something else I'll add right here as we're talking about it. A lot of people who have poor sleep are using their devices, whether it's their mobile, their tablet, their computer, their television. They're using these during times that it should be downtime and dark time. And if you have copper toxicity imbalance, you will also be very um, kind of susceptible to uh, electromagnetic frequency or EMF um, sensitivity 
because there's this uh, wired kind of electrical current that happens to a person when they have this copper imbalance toxicity. We'll talk more about that as we go through this, but having sensitivity to EMF is usually a surefire sign of copper toxicity imbalance. Something else is hypoglycemia because copper impairs digestion. It affects absorptions of carbohydrates and also increases insulin. So hypoglycemia, uh, cancer, uh, it's involved in something called angiogenesis, which promotes cancer growth. There's a lot of things here. Uh, copper also can uh, interfere with zinc, magnesium, vitamin C, some B vitamins. So there's, there's that. A lot, a lot of things that can happen. So many things. Dental decay. Uh, it's interesting that a lot of people are actually experiencing uh, dental issues and dental decay, and then their children are when they were on these high copper diets, high vitamin A diets during pregnancy, and uh, their children are basically having teeth that grow in that are rotting as they grow in because the excess copper with unopposed zinc can actually cause tooth decay and gum disease and weak bones and skin rashes and all problems of the female reproductive system, problems with hair, hair loss, um, bad quality of hair, nail problems, uh, phobia, panic attack, autism, schizophrenia, ADD, uh, depression, um, it, the list goes on. So many mental and emotional disorders. So copper ingestion and absorption is very easily and inhibited by zinc and molybdenum. The presence of estrogens and xenoestrogens, of course, from our diet, from all the Zog stuff in the environment, seems to block the body's ability to excrete copper. So that's why for us women, typically we're smaller, our organs are smaller, we have more body fat, we have higher estrogen, it's going to be harder for us to excrete the copper. And a lot of women, of course, they tend to follow low zinc diets. It's very trendy for a lot of women, especially when they're young, even when they're teenagers, to fall into traps like vegetarianism. And a vegetarian diet, for the most part, especially if it's vegan, tends to be very high in copper and very low in zinc. And the highest source of zinc in this diet, in the, in the world, actually, and not in most people's diet, rather, that what's, what's public enemy number one when it comes to food? What's causing all the problems in the world? What's the worst food in the world? It's going to make you die. Uh, it, it's all the cows are farting. It's going to cause you know the earth to basically implode. Red meat, of course. Red meat is the highest source of zinc. I'm not talking about the organs. I'm talking about the meat, actually. And most people are afraid to eat red meat. We're always told it's bad for us, uh, it'll kill us, it'll cause harm to the environment. Even people who eat meat are told don't eat red meat, eat white meat, eat fish, right? And then there are many people who just don't eat red meat at all. A lot of them are women. And if you have no taste for red meat, like if you feel like you can't eat it and you just don't desire it, like that's a sign typically of a copper imbalance. So something to actually really think about. When I was first uh, looking into all of this, I was like recovering and re-examining, if you will, um, things that I myself had gone through, things other humans I've known, clients, et cetera, friends, family, and just thinking of all this in context saying like, oh, that's what it was. That's actually what it was. Very interesting stuff. Uh, yeah. Let's see if we've got some stuff over here. Um, some stuff in the chat. Let me just take a gander and look at the chat. Uh, Josh is saying, can't my diet just be what I'm craving for? Well, 
um, sometimes, and we'll get into this a bit more, sometimes our cravings are indicative not just of maybe what we need in regards to vitamins and minerals and things like that, you know, macronutrients, carbohydrates, protein, lipids, but sometimes we actually crave what will be bad for us in return in terms of like let's say heavy metals and things like that with copper because we actually crave it because our body is like toxic but we want more of it it's almost like here's a good example someone is horribly allergic to like wheat or dairy or whatever and they keep on craving it oftentimes we have cravings for foods that actually cause allergies which sounds crazy but that's how the body works sometimes and someone is saying, um, I think it says TIK radio, amazing show. Thank you. So Sean is saying, do you metal, do you do a metal detox? What do you do? Um, we'll get to that, uh, at the end of the show. Epiphany is saying only ruminants here. Yeah. Ruminant meat. And of course I'm talking about ruminant meat. I'm talking about a bunch of things, but mainly beef here in the States. Beef is a big thing. I know in a lot of parts of the world, beef is king and I will put this out there that lamb is also ruminant meat as is mutton. Most people don't really get access to as much mutton, but lamb is a little high in copper. Granted, the zinc kind of balances it out. But if you were really serious about this and you want to say, oh, you know, I really shouldn't be eating, you know, these foods, lamb is still a little bit high in copper. I think you can kind of taste it when you eat it, that it has more of a minerally flavor to it. So really the best meat for this to have and you don't have to i'm not talking about eating two pounds of red meat a day i i don't think that that necessarily is what we need to do remember it's all in context and it's not just the only food we're going to be eating there's a lot of other foods we can eat too but when we're talking about zinc red meat is really the best source source of zinc so just something to consider there. So what causes to copper toxicity? How, how does this happen besides these quote ancestral diets? What what causes it? So when copper builds up and does not get eliminated or utilized properly, this is what happens. And sometimes it's hereditary. So your mom can pass it on to you. And oftentimes the, uh, the last child to be born in a family is going to have the most because with every pregnancy, the mom builds up more and more copper. So here are some ways how a person can get copper toxic. Estrogen can cause copper to retain and accumulate in the body. Estrogen dominant humans tend to have too much copper. Hormonal changes can be a trigger. So certain parts of the cycle for us ladies, pregnancy, postpartum, we go through a lot of these hormone changes that men don't go through. They have really they can be aware of it if we tell them, but they really have no idea what it's like to feel differently hormonally, like every day kind of for really the majority of your life, even after the change, we still have a different, like more of a spiral way of, or cyclical way of looking at things than men do. So unfortunately we have the um, ability to retain and accumulate copper, but of course with that comes the power and the beauty of, of being a woman, being able to create life. So it's it's just, just what it is. And especially in this modern world, it's so easy for a woman to be estrogen dominant, copper imbalance, copper toxicity, et cetera. Pregnancy, like I just said, will increase copper levels. When copper does not detox properly, it can lead to postpartum psychosis or depression, which we see oftentimes as 
a big thing out there. Now, is this the only cause? No, but it could definitely be something to think about in a very serious way especially with multiple births when copper does not go back to normal post-birth levels. Each pregnancy can add layers or more copper. So something to very much consider. And what if a woman is eating a diet during pregnancy that is very low in zinc? What if she goes into pregnancy estrogen dominant? What if she has a slow thyroid? What if she's taking some Dr. Zog prenatal that's loaded with copper? What if she had uh, a prior history of using the birth control pill or IUD. And also something too, being born with jaundice, which is when your baby comes out and it's slightly yellow and typically you put the baby in the light and it, it goes away or sometimes they're put like in a light box. I was actually born with jaundice. That's a good sign that my mom had too much copper prior to having me. So a jaundice baby we're often told is totally normal. It's a variation of normal. It's from vitamin A. It could be vitamin A as well, but copper. There are many causes from genetics as a mother can pass copper to the baby in utero. And some of these causes can be things like adrenal burnout or adrenal gland weakness. The adrenals help stimulate the liver to produce the needed ceruloplasm or necessary binding proteins. So if someone has these weak adrenals and they're born with weak, weak adrenals, it's going to be hard for them to produce the necessary binding proteins for the copper detoxification. So we can see how this can become very much a multi-generational problem. And that's why, like I said at the beginning of the show, we can't just rely on eating the ancestral diet because we're not ancestral people. We're not living in ancestral times. Our environments are far from ancestral. So many of us come into like wanting to be better. And I, I totally get the drive for that by following a lot of these ancestral um, diets. But we have to realize that we have modern factors and we're modern humans, even if we're you know living clean lives, we still have to remember to put everything into context. We also have a situation where our soil is low in zinc. Many foods have been stripped of zinc, causing zinc deficiency. So a zinc deficiency is essentially always basically a copper toxicity or too much copper. It's almost like kind of when someone is estrogen dominant, even if they're not super low in progesterone, they automatically have lower progesterone in relation to estrogen. Also vitamin and mineral deficiencies like manganese, selenium, chromium, B vitamins, and vi vitamin C can cause copper to accumulate. So how many of us are just blowing through those vitamins because of stress, right? If we're stressed out, we blow through manganese. I mean, we blow through magnesium. Uh, manganese, we don't really have a lot in our diet. Same with selenium and chromium. Most people don't have enough of those in their diet. Uh, vitamins B, the Bs and the C, we blow through when we're really stressed out. A copper dysregulation is when the body does not metabolize the copper properly. The copper requires particular binding protein to be able to get into the cell. So if someone has adrenal issues or thyroid issues, they're not going to be able to have this synergy in the body occur, right? And then did our ancestors have all these problems with their adrenals? Were they waking up and looking at their phone within 10 minutes of waking up like 89% of people do? They weren't. So we really have to be very wise before we fall into some of these ancestral ways that really don't behoove the modern person.
When copper is not bound to these proper binding proteins, it roams freely in the blood, leading to oxidative stress, causing the body to be constantly in a fight or flight state, making it impossible to calm down. That is, in a nutshell, the hallmark of the copper personality. So added stress, if you're constantly in fight or flight, added stress, whether it's joyful or not, can cause copper to rise and add to unwanted symptoms. So there's so many ways besides just eating a diet that we thought wasn't zoggy or a diet that we grew up like probably realizing now was zoggy. There's a lot of ways to get this. And like I had talked about earlier, copper IUDs. I had one of those only for six months, but still. And we're always told, oh, it's hormone free. There's no hormones in the copper IUD. This is a much better option than the birth control pill or the patch or the ring or the shot or all those things aren't good. They're, they cause a hormonal issues. They have hormones in them. The copper IUD is hormonal free. Yeah, it is free of added hormones, but shooting a piece of copper, and that's exactly what they do. They shoot this T-shaped thing of copper up into your cervix. It hurts like hell. It's fucking awful. And the copper itself will cause hormonal problems. I remember when I had the copper IUD, I remember standing at the stove one day, stirring up a, a saucepan of pasta sauce and getting these like pains, like uh, daggers in the like the bottom of my abdominal area. And I had a drop to the floor. It was, And I wasn't even having my period. It was just horrible pains. So the copper IUD, the birth control pill, this would include the patch, the ring, the shot, prenatal vitamins, um, hormone replacement drugs like uh, HRT, like the estrogen replacement, all of these cause copper to accumulate. Some multivitamins, especially the ones that have high copper in them. Xenoestrogens found in uh, plastics and petrochemicals. There's so many of those. Uh, growth hormones fed to animals. So if you're eating the cafe meat, uh, fungicides, herbicides, pesticides used in agriculture. Here's a big one, and this is something I grew up with, copper pipes in the house. Now a lot of houses have plastic pipes, and you think, oh, maybe the plastic has xenoestrogens in it. Like, how do you even win, right? Well, you really want to have a good house filter. I don't want anyone to think that this is like a show to like demoralize us and make us feel horrible. It's not about that. It's just about awareness. So yeah, copper pipes, tap water, copper cookware, copper drinkware, dental materials. Oftentimes we're told just mercury is an issue with dental materials. How about copper? There's copper and uh, amalgam fillings. Hot tub and pool chemicals. If you have blonde hair and you've ever gone swimming in a chlorinated pool and your hair got green, you know what I'm talking about. Those are hot tub and pool chemicals. Marijuana is also high in copper. It's also very high in cadmium. And when you have higher heavy metals like cadmium, you can retain more copper. Plant-based diets and other high copper foods, just to talk about this a little bit before I get into it a bit more. What are some of the highest copper foods, just to rattle them off? Organ meats. Oh, that's funny. We've been talking about how these things are so good for us. And here's a headline from Zog that I saw. Look at this. Zog is saying eating more OFAL or liver or organs could help cut meat emissions by 14%. Oh, we should choose more meat byproducts. Oh, that's because historically, whenever there was a kill, I heard this from some Zog person on YouTube, you know, the muscle meat was just thrown to the animals and we ate the liver. 
Does that actually sound like reality? Why would anyone throw out like a good piece of steak and then eat like the the organ of filtration? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So organ meats, of course, the highest organs in copper, liver and kidney, shellfish, too much shellfish can definitely cause um, having that imbalance. So the highest shellfish, another food that's been very, very popular from all of these ancestral diets, oysters, even though oysters have a lot of zinc, they have a lot of copper. Uh, beef liver especially is like one of the highest sources of copper. And thinking about this now too, um, those foods are not eaten on some of those biblical diets. Um, you know, people who are like Christian and they follow the biblical diet, they don't eat uh, crustaceans. They don't eat organs. I don't believe, of course, if you're kosher, you don't. Um, I don't think Muslims do. So after hearing all this, those biblical diets are looking pretty good, aren't they? Nuts, nuts and seeds. Oh my God, nuts and seeds are so healthy. They're plant-based. They're keto. They're low carb. We have to have them. Super high in copper. Chocolate, another food. Chocolate. Got to eat chocolate for your antioxidants, right? Oh, the dark chocolate. Better. More antioxidants. The darker the chocolate, the more heavy metals. Another food, ooh, mushrooms, mushroom powder, medicinal mushrooms, adaptogens, must be super healthy. Loaded with copper and oxalates and bee pollen. We're always told eat more bee pollen. Uh, root cause protocol people are always saying eat more bee pollen. It's loaded with copper. Those are some of the highest foods. Spirulina too. We're always told in the raw, like kind of vegan world, oh yeah, eat spirulina. It's super good for you. Loaded with copper. So these are easy foods that you could basically trim down on. Um, and also a lot of these foods too were loaded with vitamin A, like the organs. So yeah, I think we've really been sold uh, a bill of uh, ill ill health, ill rapport, uh, ill information in regards to all of this. Now, were our ancestors able to eat these foods in context and not get copper imbalanced or copper toxic? More easily, yes. But then what do we do? We grow up in this modern society. We eat the zog slop, goy slop for decades. And then we say, oh, I'm going to eat an ancestral diet. And then we start eating like a pound of liver a week, right? Or we grew up on multivitamins or we're vegan or we're just like keto or whatever. And we're eating like tons of nuts and tons of chocolate and all of these foods, right? So it depends if you want to give these up or if you want to just trim down on them, do an experiment. See how you feel of not eating some of these things, right? It's like anything else. See how you feel going 30 days without gluten, 30 days without caffeine, you know, see how you feel. Only you'll know, right? Only you'll know exactly what works for you and what doesn't. Of course, other things can cause these unwanted symptoms and lead to a copper toxicity and copper imbalance. That, of course, like we said prior, would just be having a zinc deficiency automatically makes you having an imbalance of copper, other minerals going along with that, having adrenal weakness and stress because stress depletes the adrenal glands, it lowers zinc levels, and it increases copper. And just following all these um, this dietary zoggery on the internet can give you um, all types of stress. Oh, and we were just talking about nuts too. If you really want to test if I'm just, you know, bullshitting everyone by talking about this, listen to this, pine nuts. Everyone knows what pine nuts are. They're usually put into things like pesto. So there's something called pine mouth or penny mouth where people eat pine nuts and that can cause them to experience a bitter or metallic taste lasting up to two weeks. And of course, no one has any idea 
why someone's entire tongue would taste like pennies for weeks. They're absolutely clueless. Doctors don't know. Nutritionists don't know. Chefs don't know. Oh, it's the high copper in the pennies. So this is a, this is actually showing that this could actually happen. Imagine having a taste like there's like pennies in your mouth for like two weeks on end. Three weeks in certain instances, taking up to 12 to 48 hours to develop after pine nuts are eaten. Yikes. So that, of course, would be someone who is very, very sensitive to copper. And of course, we're all going to be different with this. Some of us are going to be more sensitive than others based on the things I had just already mentioned. Wow, crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, Epiphany is saying regenerative cattle farming is our only hope to restore the soil. Yeah, exactly. Restoring the soil and making sure that everyone is eating a balanced diet, getting enough of the zinc. And it's not just zinc that um, we have to be considerate for in regards to uh, beef. It's also things like B vitamins and things like that. Sean Bond is saying marijuana is not high in heavy metals. Where did you come up with that? Unfortunately, it is. I wish it wasn't true. I, I used to use a lot of marijuana for years. I, I smoked marijuana, but I, I don't anymore. Uh, it's naturally high in heavy metals, especially if it's grown outside and it can uptake. That's the thing. Marijuana actually is great if you want to cleanse the soil of heavy metals. Just grow a bunch of marijuana and then pick it and then throw it away or sell it to somebody you hate because it uptakes all the cadmium in the soil. So if you're doing hydroponics, I think it's slightly less, but in general, it, it does have heavy metals. And just like many other things, we never ancestrally would wake and bake or smoke you know, joint after joint during the day. We would use it more ancestrally as opposed to the way people do now where we're told, oh yeah, just, use it 24 seven. It's like super good for you. Yeah. Okay. Let's see what else. Yeah, exactly. Um, tick radio is saying it. Yeah, that's what happens. And even if it's organic, let's say marijuana, is it better? Of course. Absolutely. It's, and I would really be very leery of trusting the stuff that's coming from the legal places like the, you know, government run dispensaries and things like that. If you want to smoke marijuana, you should probably just grow your own. Um, but I would still, um, you know, minimize it. It's also, um, high in vitamin A, it's high in oxalic acid. It's a potent phytoestrogen. So, you know, I mean, maybe something that you don't use every day. It really depends on, on you. Like if you're using it every day, that's, that's a problem. I think if you're using anything every single day, I think that's, that's a problem. You know, whether it's something that is societally acceptable or not, I would, I would, you know, I'd become more aware of that. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about this. We were talking about the copper toxicity, uh, where we leave off. Okay. So yeah, we talked about stress. We talked about the thing called penny mouth or um, pine mouth, which is really crazy. Those nuts are hella expensive too. Has everyone know, anyone noticed that nuts in general tend to be expensive, but pine nuts are really expensive. Now, of course, eating a couple of nuts here and there, like our ancestors have done seasonally, is not the issue. The issue is when someone is like pounding the nut butter and just like 
pounding all of these foods, like thinking that this is healthy, but we have all these disordered eating patterns oftentimes when we are starving and we're told we have to restrict certain foods, right? So once the copper builds up, it has nowhere to go. It doesn't just go into the blood. It also goes into the liver, the brain, and the reproductive organs. This happens, and then it disrupts the glandular, reproductive, and nervous system with devastating effects on physical and mental health. So now we live in a world where there's a lot of awareness now for trauma, nervous system health. This is fantastic, because a lot of us are working through our own trauma. We're working through the multi-generational trauma of our parents and grandparents and our lineage. So we're really getting a chance to, to really get into this and really clear the slate for the next generation. But I don't see a lot of talk about how the nervous system could be affected by copper. It's something to really consider. The copper, this copper is known as percent free copper and elevated levels can appear in the blood. It is unbound, not attached to protein and can cause oxidative stress damaging free radical activity. And this is not the same as Wilson's disease. If anyone out there is familiar with Wilson's disease, Wilson's disease is a life-threatening, rare genetic disorder where copper accumulates in the tissues of vital organs and glands. This is not the same as Wilson's disease because typically if people are told they have to go on a low copper diet, doctors know about Wilson's disease typically, but they don't know about someone who may have had all the things we just talked about, you know, all the birth control, growing up in a house with copper pipes and eating a plant-based diet and then falling into the ancestral diets. And how many people have told their story online? They grew up on Zogslop, then they became vegetarian or vegan, and then they went the ancestral route. How common is that? Like that's a really common pattern for a lot of people, especially a lot of women. So let's talk a little bit more about the adrenals and how that affects copper and addictive behavior. This is very, very interesting because addiction, of course, is something that so many people deeply struggle with. Uh, I think more males struggle with addiction more than women. And my theory with that is that men have less opportunities based on their physiology to have psychedelic experiences. As a woman, just having a menstrual cycle and going through those ebbs and flows is a psychedelic experience, pregnancy and birth, postpartum, menopause. These are all psychedelic initiations that women have. Men don't have those. So I think with men, they tend to become more addictive to things because they're seeking that innate psychedelic experience. So it's not uncommon for those with adrenal imbalances to have addictive behaviors, not just adrenal insufficiency causing cravings for sweets and salty foods, drugs, loud music, even intense exercise. Think of all the addiction to intense exercise can stimulate the adrenals keeping copper available. Unbound copper can quickly build up without this stimulation, causing fatigue, moodiness, and feeling depressed. So it's almost like they need to jolt themselves into drugs, loud music, um, maybe even risk-taking stuff, like people who are constantly doing stuff like you know, skydiving and bungee jumping and you know driving fast and just living like that kind of like edgy life. They are doing this because otherwise they're going to feel fatigued, moody, and depressed. So they, they keep the copper available, essentially, because once you go through this detoxification process, it's like anything else, 
you're going to feel fatigued and shitty for a little bit. Like I know when I was deleting marijuana, I got like hella fatigued for like the first couple of weeks as it was detoxifying out of my system. And the same thing is true of a caffeine um, detox, which is actually very similar to a marijuana detox. And of course, it'll affect people differently depending on their exposure and you know their physiology and everything. But sometimes people want to keep in that adrenalized state because it's more comfortable than dealing with like feeling like a truck hit you. This type of copper imbalance symptom can result in a compulsive need for stimulants like those already mentioned or caffeine because caffeine can help lower copper temporarily by stimulating the adrenals. So anything we do that stimulates the adrenals, caffeine, tobacco, alcohol to an extent, marijuana. Marijuana is an adrenal stimulant, but it also is a depressant as um, has depressive natures as well. But a lot of times we are drawn to these things because of our imbalance of minerals and our abundance of metals in our body, right? So telling someone that they're flawed, they're diseased, they're toxic because they're using said substance and then sending them to a facility that's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars or how much it costs for 30 days does not get to the root cause of why some people have more propensity to use substances than others. And of course, there also could be trauma worked into this, but the stress of holding on to trauma could actually make you hold on to more of these heavy metals like copper. So that's a bit about adrenals, copper, and addictive behaviors. So what are some more symptoms of copper toxicity? We talked a little bit about them before. Let's talk about some mental symptoms because we're living in a world these days where there's an epidemic of mental illness ever since Oyed AI, since the virus crisis, since the quote pandemic, mental health has really been in the toilet. A lot of people who were already on the teeter of mental illness were pushed over due to the virus crisis. Uh, there's more addiction, more alcohol abuse, more marijuana abuse, more abuse of food, um, also, I think people using the um, technologies too much. We talked about EMF sensitivity and copper toxicity imbalance a little while ago. But for some people who are like, let's say, ADD or ADHD, and this is especially true for youngsters who have had their copper toxicity passed on to them from their mother, they oftentimes will feel more comfortable and feel kind of like they can focus more if they're constantly abusing like screens and, and tablets. So that's a big thing to consider these days. And I'm sure that the copper toxicity imbalance gets more elevated with every generation born. So copper is a stimulant. It enhances brain activity and can give a feeling that the mind is racing. So that feeling where you cannot shut your brain off, that's copper. The brain is using electricity made from chemical molecules to move throughout the neuron's membrane. That's why people who are electromagnetically sensitive feel this way from having high copper. So when a young child who appears to be hyper, impulsive, agitated, etc., he or she may be having trouble with concentration due to the stimulatory effects of copper-producing adrenaline surges. And that's something a lot of youngsters are dealing with. Some youngsters are actually dealing with a combination of autism and ADHD. So you have someone who cannot pick up on social cues, as well as someone who just cannot sit still or keep their hands to themselves.
For adults, it manifests a little bit differently. Adults can have feelings of anxiety and panic, overstimulation, racing thoughts, restlessness, and insomnia. Copper conducts nerve transmission. So their nervous system is revved into a state of overdrive or agitation. It is an electrical chemical process in the same way that copper is used in electrical wires to conduct electricity, right? Copper is a very good conductor. That's why sometimes you'll see high quality um, cooking pans that are stainless steel. They have a copper core because copper conducts electricity and heat very well. Similarly, with things like fibromyalgia, occur when nerves are being stimulated over and over and over again, causing tenderness to overstimulated muscles. The electricity of copper is zapping and tiring out muscles. That's what fibromyalgia is. I mean, imagine someone suffering with one of these things for decades, thinking they were crazy, they were nuts, they were flawed, they were sick, etc. And it was really the root, this was the root cause. Wild stuff, really, really wild stuff. The more you learn about it and you can just think, you know, it's nice to be able, I'm not a diagnosis person, of course. I think that's kind of like a hex type of thing, but it's nice to know that this was the root, like this was the root of why there was an imbalance happening. It was because, it wasn't because you were flawed or mentally ill or that, you know, the creator made a mistake. It wasn't about that. It was about being born in this zoggy world and having an imbalance of minerals and metals. That's essentially what it is. Let's take a gander at the chat, okay? I am now going to take a break um, and play us a little song and then we're going to get back and we're going to be talking about some more stuff in regards to this very, very interesting topic of copper. So you are listening to the Ancestral Con Part 2, Copper Mania on White Wellness Radio and we will be right back after this song.
and we are back. That was Creedence Clearwater Revival, Green River, way back in 1969. And I am your host, Tabitha, and you are listening to White Wellness Radio, The Ancestral Con, Part 2, Copper Mania. And before the break, we were talking about some of the cognitive, or shall I say, zognitive effects of copper, how it affects youngsters as well as adults. And in the chat, Tick Radio is saying that this is true. People who didn't use marijuana or tobacco, marijuana users had 27% higher levels of lead in their blood. I saw that study as well. So I know whenever someone is a fan of some substance or some food, they always want to promote the pros of it. And, you know, oftentimes some things that aren't good for others could be good for other people, it really, it really just depends, and everything has a pro and a con. It really depends on the context, how we're using it, what our state is, etc. As opposed to just saying it's all bad or all good. But then again, I think using anything on a regular, daily, ongoing basis can be problematic. So let's talk a little bit more about this copper and cognitive issue. So before the break, we were talking about the way copper works in the body, the way it works uh, when it's being used to conduct electricity. So basically what happens is that it stimulates the production of the neurotransmitters epinephrine and norepinephrine, and it lowers dopamine. Now we live in a world where there's so much cheap dopamine available, scrolling, drugs, junk food, pornography, it's everywhere. And a lot of times when people have these issues with the copper toxicity imbalance, there is a low dopamine component. And what happens is that this copper, too much copper, can deviate or short circuit a thought or an emotion. So that's why copper is known as the emotional or sometimes even the feminine mineral. And zinc is known as more of the masculine mineral. And of course, it's involved with the central nervous system, the CNS, all types of things. We've already talked about some of these, but other ones could be memory loss, OCD, phobia, hyperactivity, spaciness, migraines, brain fog, being too sensitive. These are all symptoms of high copper. Now there is a high copper personality too. There's actually a personality that goes along with every dominant mineral. But for today, since we're talking about copper, We'll talk about it in the context of copper. So the traits of a high copper individual, there are actually many good uh, traits, but when it becomes too high, and there's always a plus and minus. It's like when you read your astrology or your horoscope, you're like, oh, I've got all these great things, you know, being a Taurus like me. And then you're like, oh, I'm also all these things, right? So it's, you know, it's catch, catch and give, give and take, right? So the traits of a high copper person will be that they're warm, they're caring, they're gentle, sensitive, intuitive, creative, things like that. Oftentimes they're young looking and have kind of a childlike, innocent quality, but they can also be spacey and have racing thoughts, be too emotional, have fears, have anger when the copper is too high. Uh, if it's really, really severe, there can be psychosis and violence. I wonder how many uh, violent people or criminals actually have high copper, right? Some extremely high copper individuals become slightly detached from reality, creating a sense of relief from their stress. 
But if the copper gets too high, it can cause a psychotic break from reality. So I'm wondering if people who are actually attracted to certain drugs, especially ones that would be classified as psychedelics, marijuana is a psychedelic. It's not really thought of as a psychedelic. It's kind of a, a light psychedelic compared to things like, you know, LSD and, and things like that, you know, DMT. But if you already are copper imbalanced or toxic, you already might have this slight detachment from reality in general, and then you may seek certain substances that further make you feel detached from reality. Just something I'm thinking about. So overall, high copper people become more aware and more alert after they excrete this heavy metal, and they also feel um, an awakening and an experience of renewed life. Copper can have an effect on sex drive. Sometimes it'll make people have no um, energy and have um, losing interest in sex. Also, since it's a stimulant, it can make people have excessive sexual interest. And of course, that's also related to estrogen because sometimes too high of estrogen will make someone have no interest in sex or really high interest in sex. This is for, kind of for women and for men. And for men, uh, sperm is very rich in zinc. When we think about the composition of sperm, one of the things that's very rich in is uh, zinc. So if copper reduces zinc, a male can have low sexual interest. Uh, and that, of course, would reflect in the quality of his semen and also his fertility and his sexual performance. So maybe he wouldn't be able to hold an erection. Maybe he wouldn't be able to last that long sexually, which would all be things that could be also tied to estrogen dominance. And there seems to be a lot of issues with, with that. And sometimes people don't know why the issue is. And then sometimes men will say, oh, I ate more red meat and then I was able to keep an erection and last long enough. Maybe that helped them, but they're not really aware of the fact that they were able to reduce copper by doing that. So sometimes we intuitively do stuff that helps our health and we don't realize necessarily the mechanism behind it, but at the end of the day, it helps us. So since copper is this feminine mineral, and it's very important in context for fertility and for pregnancy, but when we have an imbalance of it, it causes all types of so many of the problems that so many women are dealing with. Um, PMS, ovarian cysts, uh, fibroids, infertility, miscarriage, amenorrhea, which is when um, you lose your period. Dysmenorrhea is very painful periods. Endometriosis is a absolute epidemic, polycystic ovaries, uh, pelvic uh, inflammatory disease, fibrocystic breast disease, all of these can be related to a copper imbalance. And since copper has this relation to estrogen, and estrogen production can store fat, which tends to, to produce a more curvy body, symptoms of weight gain and the inability to lose weight can be tied to copper toxicity, copper imbalance. So there's a lot to be considered here in regards to how it can affect us women because we have more estrogen, because our bodies and organs are typically smaller. So men tend to have higher levels of zinc whilst women have higher levels of copper. Zinc is antagonistic to copper. It's the masculine mineral, which is really important for the prostate gland. Copper for men, if they have too much of it, it can also wreak havoc on their sexual system. It can cause obesity for men. It can cause testicular problems. 
erectile dysfunction, like we just spoke of, even impotence, uh, prostate enlargement, which seems to be something that a lot of men are experiencing or they're told they're experiencing as they get older, infections of the prostate, prostate cancer, as well as depression, anxiety, gynecomastia, when men grow um, breast tissue, essentially, testicular pain, testicular cancer, also, men tend to manifest, or boys in general, tend to manifest more ADD, ADHD, autism, and Asperger's, developmental delays and growth uh, retardation. That all can be from excess copper. Anger and violence can happen from excess copper. So there's so many things here that people may, if you're working with a practitioner or even seeing like, like a Zogbot person, they may understand that you're going through something, but they may not know the root cause of why this is happening, right? Even some people who take SSRIs, serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, in many people who are copper toxic, those will actually worsen anxiety and make things worse. And of course, I'm not suggesting those. Those were, those were invented to be used like for a six-month clip and then be done with it. Like that was the purpose when they were first invented. But some people have really strong reactions. Like some women have really, really bad reactions to birth control, like just really, really bad. That's a sign that there's copper imbalance, toxicity, intolerance to chocolate or high copper foods, like getting a reaction from chocolate. That would be copper toxicity, tinnitus, digestive issues, poor concentration, um, estrogen intolerance. There are so many um, issues that can be related to this. And the reason you haven't heard about this, you're going to be asking, like, why haven't I heard about this? Like, this is this is really good information to know. It's because doctors don't receive this training. They What do they receive? They receive, like, what, a, heck, like a half hour or one afternoon in regards to nutrition and things like that. So why would they know this? If you go to Dr. Zog and you say you're having a lot of these symptoms, especially a lot of the mood symptoms, it's going to put you on antidepressants. That's it. They're going to tell you that you're crazy and that you're getting older uh, and you need an antidepressant. Like that's actually what's happening with a lot of women these days who are having a lot of these uh, pelvic and like yoni issues. They're just going to the gyno and the gyno is saying like, go on birth control or take an SSRI or just get a hysterectomy. That's something else too. That's the second most common surgery for women. The first one is cesarean section, and the second one is hysterectomy. Like they're just being told, like, yeah, just get just get rid of your womb. It's no big deal. Just just get rid of it. Absolutely mind zoggling what's going on in this world. Of course, doctors are not only not aware of copper toxicity, but they will misdiagnose the copper symptoms. So they won't even know. So you're probably asking yourself, how do I go about finding what I should do for this? So some testing that could be done would be taking a blood sample. There are urine tests. Um, a hair analysis is a good thing to um, take, what they call an HTMA, a hair tissue mineral analysis. Uh, a trained professional will test both for both copper and zinc, and then also look at that ratio and then also look at things like the percent of free copper, which is known as unbound copper. And then look at things like ceruloplasm, which are binding proteins that attach to the copper cells. And we'll also look for histamine. There's a lot of talk now in some of the alt circles of health 
about high histamine. High histamine is usually high estrogen. High estrogen is high copper. Like for some people who are just completely alcohol intolerant, they get like a histamine reaction. That would be copper. They also may test other vitamin levels uh, when they're doing these tests. And they also might do tests for allergies to food, which would also give you more of a panoramic perspective if you know you were looking to get treatment for this. So there's a bunch of ways to go about it, but just seeing a regular Zog doctor or a Zog light doctor, they're probably not going to uh, know what to do. And they're probably just going to tell you you're crazy and to take an antidepressant. And Epiphany is saying there is no money in nutritional therapy. No, because, and there's, there's really no drug on the market that could, you know, treat copper imbalance toxicity. So there's no money for them in this and prescriptions just equal money. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it's about. Very unfortunate. So what are the ways that we could remove copper out of our body? You're probably wondering, what can I do besides seeing a practitioner? What can I do? So I want to talk about that. And then I want to go through a couple of slides. Oh, I'll see the slides that I can just kind of reiterate and just drive home this entire idea to give like a cliff notes of after we've taken in all this information, how can we go about basically applying it to our lives, right? So here's what we want to do. We want to remove the excess copper slowly and add nutrients to balance what becomes deficient or imbalanced using targeted nutrient therapy. So elimination of copper, like many things, happens through the bile. We've talked about bile quite a bit on the broadcast. There's a couple of shows where we talked about the liver. We talked about vitamin A and how important it is to have good bile flow. If your bile flow is too thick, you'll be constipated. If your bile flow is too uh, thin, you'll have diarrhea. So you want to have just that happy medium of, of bile flow uh, so you can basically shuttle all these toxins out via pooping. So it's vital to ensure that the release of toxins occurs slowly and correctly. So using the toilet for number two every day is really important. So you want to protect against copper getting stirred up and redeposited in another location that would not be pleasant and it would also be kind of a backpedal. The brain can release negative emotions when you are detoxing too quickly and this is called copper dumping. Copper dumping can result in adverse physical and mental reactions. So you can get things like headaches, acne, extreme fatigue, joint pain, digestive issues, uh, PMS type cramps, testicle pain, anxiety, spaciness, and fear. So that's why working with someone is advisable because you'll, you'll get basically the symptoms of the copper toxicity and imbalance while you're slowly removing it. So you wanna minimize those symptoms. When copper is high, other nutrients, um, other needed nutrients will lower. This may seem easy to remove the excess copper and then add the nutrients that become deficient. However, it's a complex process and it has to be individual. Like sometimes people will just say, oh, just take a bunch of zinc, like just take a bunch of zinc picolinate. And that can actually stir a lot up and may not be the right move for your physiology. And that actually may be a backpedal for you. So you have to figure out by working with somebody what to do. Some doctors recommend using chelators to remove copper and other, other heavy metals. 
this is not good. Chelation is basically allopathy. It has serious side effects, including kidney damage. So you definitely want to avoid um, chelation. Before agreeing to this type of process, do your homework. Even natural chelators, some things that are considered natural chelators, remove essential minerals along with toxic metals and cause more of an imbalance, like something that's been popular in some of the alt health spaces and kind of like the raw food world is something called zeolite. It's a type of clay and it's said to remove heavy metals from the body, but it can also get rid of, of minerals and cause an imbalance. So we have to be really careful that we're not doing something that's overly zealous and overly heroic because even if it's quote alternative, if it tends to be a very heroic methodology, it's basically allopathic. So number one would be removing the copper slowly and adding in nutrients to balance so you don't feel crazy, you know, mentally or physically when you're going through this. Something else would be to avoid the high copper foods. So vegetarian and vegan diets are high in copper. Now, unless you were eating like a vegetarian diet where you were eating a good amount of dairy and a good amount of eggs and, you know, very carefully selected plant foods, chances are the average vegan or vegetarian diet is going to be higher in copper just because there's less zinc, even if they're not eating a ton of the copper uh, rich foods. So the things that you'd want to go low on would be soy, especially like things like soy sauce are not going to cause as much of a problem, but things that, you know, like tofu and things like that. I'm not sure who people are eating tofu, but if you're eating meat, that zog meat, if it's not grass fed or pastured, then it's soy. Uh, pretty much all of the pork and chicken in the store is going to be fed soy. And the beef is even going to be fed that, like the corn fed beef, you know, that's got more of the marbling on it. Um, so that's why going back to what I said earlier about how, you know, ruminant meat is being so heavily villainized is because cows eat basically one thing. They eat grass and they eat hay, which is pretty much grass like in the off season. Even other animals like other ruminants like um, goats and uh, lamb and, you know, lamb slash sheep and other animals, they eat less, a less simplistic or a more sim yeah, less simplistic diet than cows do. So they're more likely to have higher levels of, of things. And with the, um, the lamb, we already talked about lamb being high in copper, another source of copper that I was actually consuming for a while and had um, thinking it was a good thing, thinking, oh gosh, I need the copper because that was all the information that was coming in at the time through a lot of these quote ancestral diets. Um, and that would be goat milk. Goat dairy in general is very high in copper. So if you can't do the cow dairy, try to get the A2 which is the less hybridized as opposed to the A1 because all sheep and uh, goat is A2. But since they naturally, I believe with goats, retain more copper, it's just the mechanism of the goat. And then a lot of the farmers are actually giving them a copper supplement and a vitamin A supplement. And goat milk is also high in vitamin A compared to cow milk. And of course, milk, if it's not good quality milk, could also be fed soy. So we really have to um, not just think about consuming these foods or not consuming these foods, but also thinking of 
what did our food consume, right? That's a very important question to ask ourselves. Now, something else that's high in copper would be beans or legumes. But I think that in the, the context of this, as long as we're not eating like an absolute tremendous amount of beans and legumes, I think a moderate amount of beans and legumes is actually uh, advantageous because they can help shuttle toxins out via the bile because they are a source of soluble fiber. Now, there are certain beans that tend to be higher in copper. I believe that white beans and um, like pink beans tend to be higher in copper than some other types. So I think a moderate amount of beans, even though they are one of the foods, they're not like super high in copper, but they're on they're on like the moderate list for the most part. I think black-eyed peas are one of the lowest in, in copper, if memory serves correctly. Maybe uh, split peas are too. You can find these lists throughout the internet if you're interested in really finding out what's a high source, a moderate, and a low source. Um, but with beans, I think because they do shuttle out toxins via the bile because they are a source of soluble fiber, I would say that for most people, if they can process, their body can process them, they could be advantageous for getting rid of excess copper. Uh, and I will say that try to avoid the canned because the canned have heavy metals and that could actually negate eating beans in the first place. Uh, spirulina, we talked about that earlier. It's a blue-green algae. It's really high in copper. Some of the veggies that are really high in oxalates and vitamin A are also really high in copper and they are so gross, like chard, spinach, and beet greens. These are so just gross. Like, I don't know why I would eat these things. Sweet potatoes, also high in oxalates, vitamin A and copper. Brewer's yeast, really high in copper. Nuts and seeds, um, especially pine nuts, but most nuts and seeds, like literally most, with the exception, I think, of macadamia. Uh, and then everyone's, of course, always talking about, oh, my God, it's the poofas and nuts and seeds. Well, yeah, that's part of it. But like, let's let's really talk about it from a nuanced perspective as opposed to just like attacking one of the macronutrients. Let's let's think about its whole profile. Does that make more sense? So yeah, nuts and seeds, we're always, we're told they're so healthy. We should eat so many of them. We don't really have the tract digestively to eat a bunch of them. If we're going to eat a small amount, maybe in the form of like nut butters or pulverized, it's very different than people who are just pounding them like every single day. But in general, if you're dealing with the copper toxicity, this is, this is a list to follow. Something else that'll probably be a bummer to hear, avocado is high in copper. It's not super, super high in copper, but it's still pretty high in copper that probably wouldn't be advisable to eat it every single day. Mushrooms, really high in copper, especially shiitake and morel, super high in copper. Dried fruit tends to be high in copper. Organ meats and shellfish, we talked about that. Uh, chocolate, white chocolate is okay, of course. The darker the chocolate, the higher the heavy metals, the higher the copper. Grains, uh, in general, whole grains are going to be higher in copper, uh, especially wheat, I believe, is very high in copper. So if you are going to eat grains, maybe be very choosy about your grains and maybe just don't eat too many of them. Incorporating regular stress-reducing um, things into your regime, meditation, yoga, tai chi, anything that's going to relax you is essential for maintaining normal copper levels because when your body is like hella stressed, it uses up stored nutrients to help reduce the copper. 
And then in turn, the copper accumulation makes it difficult to deal with the stress. So that's why eating a nutrient dense diet is so important. And that's why people really get into trouble when they're eating some of these like self-flagellation starvation diets, but they also get into trouble when they eat these ancestral diets that are over nutrition. So when I'm talking about getting enough minerals and stored nutrients, I'm talking about eating high quality foods that are not going to raise your copper. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, belief in a higher power, having a spirituality, having faith in your healing is a huge un underestimated aspect of wellness. Uh, there's a lot to be said for faith healing, like really believing that you're going to feel better and get better or believing you're going to make a goal. You can't underestimate the power of a positive mindset. Seeking the help of working with someone else. Um, it could be any type of wellness guide that you want to see because dealing with the detox of this can really take a toll on one's um, psychological health and take a toll on their adrenal health. Um, so maybe working with someone else, doing emotional healing or trauma healing as you're detoxing all these toxins. Oftentimes they'll say from a traditional Chinese perspective that the um, buried negative emotions and the traumas that we experience are stored in the liver. So when we're releasing these toxins from the heavy metals, our livers are going to become lighter. Something to think about. So as the body is getting ready to rebalance and heal, the mind also needs assistance to recover. So emotional thought patterns become imbalanced from prolonged negative behavior. Release the negative emotions, free up the energy, and this can be used to assist the body's copper metabolism. So changing your mindset along with all of this is like really super important. And you might be asking yourself, this all sounds like so much. How long does it take? The good question. So it really depends on the severity of how much copper exposure you had, your level of commitment. Um, oftentimes, six months is kind of like a starting point, maybe even longer, could be several years for some people. If you had a diet that was really high in copper for a long time, that could be something uh, if you're resistant to adding meat, that can be something. If you have adrenal weakness, that can be something. So there's a lot of things here, depending on the person, depending on how robust your constitution is. Only you, really you know that, right? Some of us may have had more exposure, but some of us are just really, really robust people. So there's that too. And I know I've talked about this before on some of my channels, like the Racial Science channel, it's been thought that people who are RH plus have iron-based blood and people who are RH negative have copper-based blood. So it may be quite possible that the effects of copper toxicity are way more pronounced and deleterious for people who have positive blood, which would be the majority of the population, 85%. So when you combine the proper nutrition the supplements, avoiding the high copper foods and exposure of, of environmental factors, and protecting your stress levels and your emotional well-being. That's kind of the magic bullet. It's kind of the magic bullet for a lot of things when you think about it. And really, there is no magic bullet. It's really just the determination to, to heal and to get better and, and to be better. But unfortunately, we live in this world where a lot of us came in on a diet um, and a, a kind of a family paradigm of programming that, you know, set us up for being receptive and being a receptacle for, you know, heavy metals, 
for um, you know mineral deficiencies, for different types of overnutrition, which is kind of interesting to be kind of undernourished on certain things, but overly nutrified on the things that actually could be a toxicity. And we're always told through a lot of these modalities, like things like the Western A Price Foundation, oh, there's there's no such thing as having too much of a certain vitamin. That's such a hoax. That is that is such a bunch of garbage. Absolutely, you could have too many fat soluble vitamins, and it can cause a problem. You could have too much of one mineral and it can cause a problem. That foundation really, um, as you know, I have a bone to pick with them. I really don't like a lot of the things that they say. I mean, yeah, do they give out some good information? Yeah, there's a, a groovy jewel of wisdom to find like in literally every dietary regime, every religious path, you know, every political movement. But as a whole, they suck, right? Let's see, we're getting some feedback right here. Tick Radio is saying, amazing show. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. I share the show on the Podbean Podcast Nation on Facebook in case you want to join. I have to go. Bye, everyone. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, so now that we've gone through all of that, we've talked about so many things uh, thus far. We've been going for about an hour and a half. We talked about... Uh, symptoms of copper toxicity. We talked about the environmental and lifestyle factors. We talked about how it affects the adrenals, how it affects us from a cognitive perspective, uh, the context of addiction, what it does to sex drive, what it does to men and women uh, specifically in different ways. Why haven't we heard of it? Why do doctors misdiagnose it? Um, how is it treated? Now I want to go through a couple of slides that I've collected just so we can kind of um, reiterate, reiterate some of the things I've said, because I want this show to be like a good deep dive. Maybe you might want to listen to it more than once. Maybe you want to take notes on it um, because there is a lot of conflicting information about this whole copper thing. So I wanted to make sure that this was a good solid resource for everyone to have to share with other humans, just like with the one that I did on, on the Ancestral Con, right? Okay, so let's go through some of these slides right here, and we can kind of just get a, a roundabout perspective on everything. Okay, so let's first talk about a little bit more what we can do to improve the copper detoxification process. We just talked a little bit about that, but let's talk about it a little bit more just so you kind of have an idea. And a lot of these things are free too. So let's say you're not in a place right now where you don't have the emotional or the financial wherewithal to work with somebody. Just doing some of these can be of balance and it probably isn't going to cause harm because it's not going to be about taking a ton of supplements or anything like that, which could possibly be deleterious because as we know, so many supplements out there are just, you know, you're paying for expensive piss. You know how it goes. So here are some ways to just improve your copper detoxification. Even if you didn't eat a vegetarian diet, even if you never took birth control, which is great if you never did, you're still living in a world where you probably drank tap water out of a copper pipe. You've probably eaten food that was treated with herbicides, pesticides, and fungicides. You've probably been exposed to you know, xenoestrogen. So let's say you're one of those rare people who never did vegetarianism or veganism, and you never took uh, birth control. There's still ways that you can help improve your detox pathways. And that's what I want to reiterate and just drive home right here. So here are some ways to improve copper toxicity or <laughs> gosh, that was a slip. How to improve copper detoxification. 
So avoid eating too many nuts and seeds and grains, um, coffee, chocolate, wheat, pecans. Those are ones that are especially high. Now, some people do coffee enemas to actually remove copper, but coffee itself um, contains copper, as does tea. So that's why sometimes people who are adrenally fatigued will want to take in the caffeine to get that stimulatory effect, just like they do from the risk-taking stuff, like the overexercise or the skydiving or the super loud music or the drugs, etc. So we really see when someone has this kind of buzzy thing going on from the copper, they are going to seek substances that create it in their system, right? So that's why they might crave things like chocolate and coffee and wheat and pecans or other things, you know, nuts, seeds, grains, etc. So those are some foods. We talked about foods prior, just mentioning those right here. Try to get a good amount of sleep. I know not everyone's lifestyle is um, where they have the ability to get nine to 10 hours of sleep each night. But if you can, and you're in the middle of a detoxification process, try to get as much sleep as you can, especially in this cold time. If you're in the Northern hemisphere, it's yin, it's winter. So try to get that good amount of sleep. Slow down. Don't try to put too much stress on your mind and nervous system, especially for women in the second half of your cycle, the luteal phase, slow down. That's the time when you need more sleep. You need more food. Sometimes an off comment will set you off. Just take it slow and obviously take it really slow when you're bleeding. Uh, seek to balance the autonomic nervous system and optimize cellular oxidation before doing a copper detox. So you want to kind of be in a slight bit of balance before you start hitting it hard with the detox methodologies. Avoid Teflon, copper, and aluminum or aluminum cookware. Stick to stainless steel porcelain enamel cookware. Avoid interacting with humans that are frustrating or infuriating as these strong emotions can slow down your detox. So anyone you find to be infuriating, whether it's online or in person, just don't interact with that person or cut down your interactions with people. I find in general that using less antisocial media is a good health protocol for the majority of people, especially for women. Social media or anti-social media is a very young thing, uh, not the good young, you know, it's like the bad young, like the young that we really don't need in our life. So it's best to not really engage too much on that. Like I have this new policy with Telegram where I'm really only on there to post. That's it. I'm not on there to engage. I'm on there to post because I just don't I'd rather talk to people in real life. And I just I just don't like social media, I find myself so much more fulfilled in life, when I'm not engaged using anti social media like that. Don't be so hard on yourself, you're doing great. Remember that don't beat yourself up when you're doing any type of like healing protocol, know that you don't need anyone else's approval to feel good about yourself. Try to cook at home if you can use organic ingredients if you can afford them. Eat plenty of grass-fed uh, beef and chicken and turkey to get enough protein and zinc. Really, really important, especially for women who tend to be starved in general compared to men. I know so many women in real life who are starving, who have been starving for like literally decades, who just like literally like it's, I don't know how they get through the day. Like I'm not starving. I don't deprive myself of food. Like I eat, but I know so many women who I've known for so long who are just 
absolutely running on empty. They're running on like caffeine pretty much and, and sugar and stress. Uh, cruciferous vegetables support the liver's detoxification pathway. Of course, these have to be cooked. Broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kale, cauliflower, cabbage, and collard greens. All of these tend to be low in oxalic acid. For the most part, they're low in vitamin A and they are also low in copper. Now, some might say, oh, you know, kale is somewhat high in vitamin A. Okay, like not compared to like spinach or something like that or sweet potatoes. And these are the cruciferous vegetables that usually get a bad rap for causing flatulence and things like that. Cook them well, cook them well and eat them on a regular basis so you won't be farting. Or maybe if you're farting, there's some other like problem going on. But I eat these on a regular basis and I'm not like a gas chamber. So try these out. I think I'm going to actually have Brussels sprouts tonight with, with steak and um, some potatoes, something like that. So it's very easy to eat very good food that's very healing and, and totally tasty and nutritious without like a heap of effort, right? Go for walks or short runs, anything to improve your circulation, but don't do anything like totally exhausting because that will raise your adrenaline. And when we raise our adrenaline, it's going to cause issues with the copper that's in our body. Use a far or near infrared sauna um, to help your body release the copper. That's something else that you can do. Now, if you're really, really stressed, this might actually make you feel more stressed. Also, you probably don't want to use the sauna on the days that you're taking in caffeine because that can also produce a stress response. So just something to think about. Drink plenty of water to help flush the copper out of your body and through your kidneys. Make sure you're having a bowel movement at least once or twice per a day. That is really important. You want to be pooping. If you're not pooping, you're not getting rid of waste and then the waste is just recirculating. So really important to use the toilet. Um, I find in general that you really want to eat foods that digest well. I did a show on this quite some time ago. I forget what it was called. Um, was it called fixture number two or, or something like that? I remember like Podbean flagged me for using the word, I think poop or shit in the title or something like that. So I had to use some other type of title, but you want to make sure that you're going and that you're eating foods that facilitate having a bowel movement and not relying on caffeine to stimulate a bowel movement like many people do. As your adrenal glands get more rested and stronger, your need for copper decreases and it will naturally leave the body. So this is really about strengthening our glands, which is really what TCM is about. And a lot of, you know, meditations like Kundalini and Tai Chi and Qigong, we really want to strengthen our organs, which we can do with food, but also through, you know, ancient meditative practices. Avoid being the type A personality, the overachiever. This person is way more likely to be copper toxic than like the laid back, like chill persona. If you have a copper IUD or if you take birth control, discontinue this because these will definitely increase your copper bio burden. And even though a blood test can show low copper in your hair or blood, a uh, hidden copper could be released uh, uh, and still be inside your cells and your mitochondria. So it's kind of the way vitamin A works and kind of the way estrogen works. A blood test may not be an end-all, be-all for what's actually going on because these things can be stored in the tissues. So a blood test is not like, you know, 100% verbatim of what's going on with the body. So very important to, to understand that. 
Okay, moving along, let me just get a sip of water. And just to reiterate, so many symptoms of copper excess, feeling doom, fatigue and exhaustion, hypothyroidism, mind in a fog, mood swings, cold hands and feet, uh, chocolate cravings, feeling a loss of control, uh, suicide, little feelings or hopelessness. Now I'm wondering how many um, suicides are tied to copper toxicity, right? Or copper imbalance, racing heart, adverse reactions to vitamins and minerals, uh, short attention span, eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia, overeating, panic attacks, high anxiety, muscle cramps, PMS, mono, obsessive thoughts, the list goes on. So here is one other sign or symptom of copper overload. Do you crave or adversely react to high copper foods such as whole grains, nuts, chocolate, soy, avocado, and black tea? Individuals with copper overload tend to either crave foods high in copper or have adverse reactions to them. So again, there are many ways that we can kind of ferret out if we're dealing with an imbalance or a toxicity just based on how our physiology reacts to something. So it's something very interesting to keep in mind. And this is why when we think about it, so many people have good outcomes from some of these things like a carnivore diet, which of course I don't think is a sustainable diet um, long-term, especially for women who really need carbohydrates specifically at certain points in their cycle. And I would even argue that um, postmenopausally they need more carbohydrates, especially when they're in the childbearing years. But this is why diets like that, which are hardcore elimination diets, people can feel kind of um, a benefit from those because look, those diets cut out whole grains, they cut out nuts, chocolate, soy, avocados, many carnivores don't do caffeine, right? So there's a reason why people actually feel better on those diets. And they also tend to eat a lot of zinc because the majority of carnivores are eating ruminant meat. Now, there are some carnivore people who are just doing fowl and hog and fish, but the majority of them are doing ruminant meat. So sometimes we may do something or see somebody else doing something, and we may not know the mechanism behind it, but we know it works. And of course, like I said, I don't think that's a sustainable long-term thing. That's why a lot of people who are doing the carnivore thing now have added in back some what they call low toxin plant foods. And you got to play around with it and, and think about what works for you. But then there are a lot of people out there who are promoting this idea of an animal-based diet as opposed to a plant-based diet. And a lot of these foods on these animal-based diets, uh, they're promoting you know eating liver every single day. I don't think that's a smooth move. I really don't. Uh, risk factors for copper overload, just to reiterate, having a slow metabolism, so hypothyroidism, having excessive stress or adrenal insufficiency, which is kind of interesting because people oftentimes will come to something like the pro-metabolic approach because that's supposed to be the approach that gets rid of stress. Well, if you're pounding all the liver and the oysters and the goat milk and the bee pollen, it's going to make you feel more stressed. And a lot of those diets also promote caffeine use, which if you already have copper overload, you're not going to do really well with caffeine. Having high estrogen, you're at risk for copper overload. Being a utilizer of the birth control pill, copper IUD, having amalgam fillings, having a zinc deficiency, being vegetarian or vegan, more so vegan. Crazy stuff. Even gelatin 
has copper in it too. Now, if we're using small amounts of gelatin or if we're making gelatinous broth, it's probably not going to be an issue. But for some people who are pounding the gelatin, and that's true with some of these, you know, quote, ancestral regimes out there, being told to eat four to six tablespoons of gelatin, because some people are actually really afraid of eating muscle meat. Um, and of course, I don't think we should only eat that. I think we should eat a, a bunch of things. Like there are a lot of lovely things like oxtail and shanks and things like that, that we can stew. But um, eating any type of food stuff or processed food, like, yeah, gelatin has some benefits to it. It has certain amino acids that you're not going to find in muscle meat. But we have to realize that these are just supplemental kind of sidecar things. They're not foods, they're supplements to a diet. So you're always better off getting gelatinous meats into the diet than eating gelatin powders and collagen powders, which are both can be high in copper. Like for example, a tablespoon of gelatin has 67% of your needs. Remember that our needs for copper are in micrograms, mg. It's not in grams like protein or fat or carbohydrates. Our needs are very minuscule. And that's true for all minerals. We have very, very minuscule needs for it. So some people, I was one of them, probably overdid it with the gelatin. Okay, moving on. Um, and then we have something like uh, beef liver, which we've talked about, which uh, really has the wrong ratio of copper to um, copper to zinc, essentially. And this goes for people who weren't just eating liver, like there were people like me who actually like ate the raw liver, which is like, a lot of people aren't going to do that. A lot of people are like, oh, liver is disgusting. It's gross. I'll just take these pills. And then when they take the pills, not only are they not like kind of like they're bypassing their repulsion factor from it, but they're also eating oxidized retinol. Two, oxidized vitamin A, right? Animal-based vitamin A. So the ratio of, of um, copper to zinc in liver is basically like 20 to 1. So it's really bad for people who are overloaded with, um, with copper, right? This is a really big problem. Um, copper levels are greater than zinc levels. Ideal zinc to copper ratios are 8 to 1. Um Actually, I read that wrong. Okay, so the copper content is one to three. Um, zinc to copper is um, what liver what liver has, but the ideal ratio is eight to one. You want eight zinc, one copper, as opposed to one zinc, three copper. And if you're overloaded, you want 20 zinc to one copper. Yeah, so definitely something to consider there. Um, and this whole ancestral thing of like eating all of these pills, you know, all of these organ pills. And I mentioned this on, I think the ancestral con, if you look at the very popular brands of organ pills, I think two of the most popular brands are ancestral supplements and heart and soil. Every single variety, I believe of those supplement lines, every single one has liver added to it. So if you want thymus, there's liver, you want heart, there's liver, you want blood, there's liver. So they're adding that one to three ratio of zinc to copper to every single organ supplement out there. So there's there's definitely an agenda. Remember, Zog got some people by making them sign up online and getting their date to go and inject 
toxic graphene and whatever else, the toxic Zog sludge soup of the OIDAI vaccination. Zog got other people to take liver pills and eat raw liver or do a vegetarian diet, right? Crazy, crazy things. So even if you haven't been in a vegetarian or vegan diet, um, even getting lots of vaccinations could lead you to having low zinc status. Uh, and if you have any type of sluggish bile, fatty liver, low thyroid, slow metabolism, these are all signs that you want to be very careful with concentrated sources of copper and retinol, which would be vitamin A, right? So these nutrient dense sources that we're always told, oh, we need all of these quote nutrient dense foods, um, they are not going to be processed and broken down by your body well, and it can leave you with overload symptoms. We're always told, oh gosh, malnutrition. Malnutrition is for people in Africa. It's not for people here in, in the modern world and in, in Western civilization. So this overload of nutrients can cause array of harms from birth defects, tooth decay from on yourself as well as your children, skin rashes to liver and other organ damage. So more is not better. That's the moral of this show. We talked about this prior, eating more OFAL or organ meats could help cut meat emissions by 14%. So Zog, if you're not going to eat, Zog wants you to eat tranny meat. If you're not going to eat tranny meat, Zog wants you to eat, quote, meat byproducts like organs. Gross. Crazy, crazy stuff. So the people who weren't going to vaccinate their kids, they got all those people by telling them to feed their kids liver, right? Yep, that's how they got everybody. And then you look at people who have been doing like these Weston A. Price diets for such a long, long time, and they're so intolerant, like can't even eat like a piece of fruit. They go into like uh, blood sugar dysbiosis or dysregulation by just eating a piece of fruit because their tissues are so overloaded with not just vitamin A from the retinol and not just copper, but all the fish oil consumption. Um, you know, all the cod liver oil, all the fermented crazy crap oils these people are eating. I mean, there's nothing ancestral about that. Okay, here's some information on the bright side. Um, here's a list, very important list, of some wonderful culinary herbs that are rich sources of zinc. Who would have thought, right? Parsley. Parsley is really high in zinc. It's high in chlorophyll. It's super tasty. There's the curly parsley. There's the um, flat Italian parsley, which I think I'm more of a fan of, but they're both great. So all of these are rich sources of zinc. Basil. Basil is very flat, flavorful, high in zinc. Oregano, thyme, sage, and rosemary. Now, I think sage and rosemary are a little on the estrogenic side, uh, and oregano and thyme are very strong. Like all those herbs are very strong to me. I'm not a personal big fan of oregano, thyme, sage, and rosemary, but basil and parsley, I mean, those, those are pretty good to go, right? So think about that in your cuisine, adding a little bit of um, herbal wellness to your cuisine right there. Okay, so here's a list. It's a very small list. It's not an end-all be-all. But it's a list of some of the low copper foods out there. Because probably listening to all of this, you're probably thinking, 
well, hell, what am I supposed to eat, right? What should I be eating? Well, there's a lot of things you could be eating. And like I said, you can peruse around and look online for some low copper uh, food list information. A lot of vegetables are already uh, low in copper. The majority actually are. But here's a little list just to kind of um, inspire you if this is something that interests you or maybe someone who you know, maybe uh, a spouse, maybe a child, maybe someone else in your family needs to work on this, maybe a parent or a grandparent. So here's a list of low copper foods. Beef, eggs, white meat, turkey, and chicken. Not so much the dark meat, which I don't think is as tasty personally. I think the white meat is actually the tastiest. Uh, cold cuts and frankfurters that do not contain uh, dark meat or organ meats. Then again, I wouldn't eat too many cold cuts or frankfurters in general, but just so you know, those are low in copper. Most vegetables, including fresh tomatoes, uh, breads and pastas made from refined flour. So it's actually the germ, the outside layer of the grain that has the copper in it. Now, some people are just not going to do well with grains. Some people are not going to do well with wheat. That's completely understandable. Make sure that if you're getting these breads and pastas that they are not fortified. We've talked a lot about fortification on the broadcast. You do not want to eat fortified foods. Rice is low copper. Regular oatmeal, butter, cream, mayo. I would suggest making your own mayonnaise because most of the mayonnaise out there in the market are really zogged out and they taste disgusting. So I would just make your own and sour cream. So basically most dairy, most vegetables, some grains, the more refined grains, and um, essentially most, most uh, meats and eggs are going to be high, uh, high, higher in zinc and lower in, um, in copper. And of course, the highest food on, of zinc would definitely be uh, beef, right? Beef is a very good food. And recently, I know sometimes people will gripe about the, the price of beef. Well, chopped meat or minced meat or ground meat, whatever you call it, is a great option. It's very affordable. You can do so many different things with cooking that. I actually have a great book, I think from the 70s, called The Ground Beef Cookbook. It's put out by a small cookbook company called Nitty Gritty Productions. That's a great idea on how to make more economical meals using ground meat. And also things like sirloin or flank, especially petite top sirloin, is a great cut, which has a great taste. And it's much more affordable than some of those fancy steakhouse house cuts. So there's many ways to make this work for you affordably. You can buy chicken breasts on the bone. Um, you can buy turkey, like a huge turkey breast and put, put the whole thing in the slow cooker, which I did last week. And then I was making chicken soup or turkey soup rather. There's a lot of ways to work with this. And these foods are tasty. Be gentle with yourself. Take it easy and uh, realize that there's always something more to discover and to just basically stay away from so much of that information online. I mean, it has really gotten bad. Another reason to stay away from anti-social media. First of all, what's there to really do on there besides, you know, wasting your time, right? Having like either arguments or conversations that just go in circles that don't basically improve you as a person, or you're basically feeding your brain with all this terrible information that's actually going to weaken you, right? And you're also weakening your eyes by looking at all that stuff too. So the basically the takeaway from this show is to be aware that there could be something to maybe some of the symptoms that you or someone else in your life has. 
to stay away from all the talking heads. They're either paid or they're, they're too foolish to really understand the truth and to have faith in yourself and just to enjoy life and realize that what was ancestral for our ancestors is not necessarily going to work for us today in our modern day context and that getting ourselves healed from these mineral and heavy metal imbalances can be a way to really free ourselves from generations of trauma, which is what we all want. We all want to live a really good, rich life and not pass this on to the next generation. So with that being said, you have reached the conclusion of the Ancestral Con Part 2, Copper Mania on White Wellness Radio. Thank you for listening. I hope this was easy listening for you. Good information, food for thought, all that really, really good stuff. Um, yeah, first live show back in a while. Felt pretty good. Appreciate everyone here who is in the chat, um, commenting and enjoying the show. Always appreciate that. And anyone listening in the archives, always appreciate that as well. So I'm going to go now. I'm going to eat something tasty and have a wonderful rest of your day in this beautiful, big, white world. Okay, everybody. Satnam.